the latest on the world game. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast. Uh, you're joining Andy Jackson, publisher. I'm here with Trevor Trahan, editor. Hello. And special guest, Hire Gun. Formerly editor of the Full 90 and the Socceroo, Jack Snape. Thank you, Andy. It's nice to be here. Jack's in the office at the moment. Um, We're putting together the final bits of the programme for the Festival of Football, (coughs) which will, the Sydney Festival of Football, which we'll talk about later. Um, But first, it's over. (laughs) The World Cup is gone. No more Paul the Octopus. No more Paul the Octopus. (laughs) You won't be around for the next one, (laughs) Paul the Sod. Um, he's two and a half and the life expectancy of an octopus is three years apparently so he'll be calamari by the time the Euros <laughs> come around um, let's kick off section one let's review the final in isolation we'll, we'll talk about the tournament as a whole later um, one nil win for Spain another one nil win for Spain widely tipped the result Trevor I think you picked it yep yeah, how, did you see it? how did you see it um, yeah I mean not a classic final a pretty nasty one, as I think we'll discuss as well. Um, what we expected in, in terms of you know result, we said 1-0 before. I thought it was going to be 1-0 over 90 minutes. Um, I just didn't expect the Dutch to play like the way the Dutch played. Um, I know the reaction over there has been you know genuinely negative. There's one country that would rather happily lose playing in a certain style. It's probably them, and the Dutch journalists have, have been quite critical the way they went out just to sort of try and hammer Spain and we were saying there was don't we Jack how every team has just tried to play that way against Spain like no team's taken them on have they really you know toe for t- you know toe to toe everyone's gone let's try and stop them from playing yeah. and see how far we can get and it had, didn't work for anyone do you think I mean Jack do you think that that was a tactic from Marvike do you think he actually said go out there and kick them the way that they did or, or was that the players sort of yeah I can see him saying go out there and press them as hard as you can all over the pitch, don't give them any time on the ball. But they sort of went beyond that a bit. you know. And is that the players taking it to that level, do you think? Uh, I think it is. Uh, going to the match, I thought Holland would be a great, uh, a great match-up for Spain from the neutrals perspective. I thought, unlike the Paraguay and uh, the teams before the final, um, Holland had the players to, to take on Spain... Um, to uh, keep the ball and also hit them with uh, you know the pace and power of guys like Van Persie and Robin. Uh, I think that the early chances for Spain might have rattled them, rattled the Dutch, and they started to get nasty. There are a couple of chances I think uh, Puyol missed a header and uh, Villa missed a Ramos had a good header. Oh, was it well, Ramos? Yeah, 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 it was Ramos. Yeah. Uh, Villa missed a back post kind of volley, and from that from that point for the next 20 minutes, I think the Dutch just thought. All right, we don't want to lose the game here. Let's really um, let's really put our boot in, and yeah. that's sure what uh, Nigel De Jong did to uh, yeah. <laughs> to I saw, I mean, incredible. Yeah, I, I sort of I can only think that Howard Webb that was like a sort of corner of the eye job, and he just saw a high boot and immediately gave a free kick for you know a dangerous foot. Didn't actually see how bad it was. Um, I mean, we've seen red cards for that in the A League. Remember, Steve Corica got sent off for. Mm. Something very similar to that. 
Um, that, that could have changed again. That's the 28th minute. I yeah, think I'm right in saying well, that could have opened the floodgates. I thought that was a blatant. But I'm, I'm pleased he. You know, we're going to talk about Webb's performance in a minute. But I'm pleased they didn't send him off because red cards ruin finals. Mm. You know, and if that had happened, it would have been an even worse final. It still would have been one nil Spain. Yeah. But it just you know wouldn't have got any enjoyment out of it whatsoever. So I thought it was sensible, you know, refereeing that he didn't give red out there earlier. However, looking at the incident isolated, it was definitely a red. Wasn't yeah. it? no doubt about that. Well, it was. It wasn't. You know, let, let's not. Sort of, you know, rewrite history. It wasn't one-way traffic. You know, Holland could, you know, in in Robin had two fantastic opportunities, one on one. Um, first one, you'd probably say didn't do a lot wrong. Good save by Casillas, true. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it looks bad on the player when they miss one on ones because they look really, really easy. But when you're probably taking arguably the best keeper in the world on it's it's not quite so easy he should have just got a little bit more lift on it but you he really came out quickly the thing is he came out quickly right, so blocked a lot of the goal and stayed on his feet as long as he possibly could and then he swung that leg round didn't he when, yeah. he, when he saw you know where the shot was going I mean Schneider great but he twice split them open didn't he and got through and uh, Poyon and Piquet looked a little bit lost didn't they and it, yeah. I mean, so much space in there behind them so yeah I mean they weren't without their chances and I think that the main Robin chance was after an hour, might have been sixty-six minutes yeah. or something like that. Um, I don't, you know, I think the Dutch could have held on from there. And the second one, um, probably the the reason for Robin's such annoyance afterwards was it was the first time in that situation he's ever stayed on his feet and didn't complete it. You know, would, do you see? Should he have gone down when when Poy- he cut across Poyol and there was definite contact? And you would have bet all odds that Robin would go down, but he didn't. Yeah, it's the it problem with uh, it's it's a deep flaw in the rules of football that um, that is I reckon the the reason that uh, footballers in general don't get much credit uh, among the greater population or are deemed divers uh, because that's the language of football to claim the foul there Robin needs to go down uh, voluntarily but for sure it's a foul Puyol so was was all over the back of him and. Uh, he should have gone down. Even so it's the answer have a soft. rugby union type situation where you play the advantage and then have the ability to go back if if ten seconds later it's, the player loses the ball or or in that instance yeah he stays on his feet he gets the opportunity to have a shot during the advantage period if the keeper saves it it comes back. I like would, I would love to see a cultural change in soccer or, or football um, to bring that in, but it would have to become. Uh, the norm through all levels of the game that players become used to referees calling something back for something you know for, for uh, calling a foul for, from 20 seconds ago. Yeah, um, well, but it it's going to take time. I mean, you yeah. see the referee at the stuck, and one of the defending team has gone offside, and the attacking team still has possession. He signals that there's an advantage, and if they don't take advantage of it. There's a penalty and it comes back and the free kick. So mm. I, I like the mistakes in football. I like the referee mistakes. And I like the human element that there's some mistakes in it, and I think it's a talking point, and it makes football more interesting. We're not talking about a video, uh, but, do you, but, but even pulling that back. But it's, do it's, you not think that you know Robin now will never stay on his feet again, and neither <laughs> will a lot of centre forwards? That was a safe bet before, well, yeah, wasn't but, it? Yeah, and a lot of centre forwards will look at that and go, "I'm going down. I'm, I'm just mm. going to milk it because there's, there's no benefit to trying to stay on your feet." No. No, I have seen a few goals. I mean, I think Henri was sometimes reasonable at standing on his feet and sticking the ball away. He did, you know, I did see him do that a few times. But I don't know if players look at that specific incident and go, right, I'm going to change the way I play the game because I think a lot of them go down already. Yeah. 
but no, I wouldn't. I I feel no need to change the rules on it. Okay, and on, on to the refereeing. Uh, he's been widely slated, and I must admit, when I watched it, I thought he did, <laughs> so did bloody I. well. You know, with two sides that were that were set out to to you know to push the referee to his limits. You know, I mean, and you know, let's be honest, Spain were not innocent in this. You know, they milked fouls. They were waving imaginary cards from the first five minutes. Iniesta dives with the best of them. You know, the, the complete biased commentary from SBS was, a, well, from Craig Foster, was a joy to behold when Iniesta blatantly dived in extra time. And, and uh, is it David Bashir goes, yeah. well, there was no contact there at all, was the fault? And there was just silence from no. Foz. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, just totally one eyed. Um, but I actually thought Howard Webb did well, you know, I, I, even though he's, he's dished out 14 yellows and a red. Well, did he have an option on any of them? Well, no. I mean, you look back at them, you'd probably say, oh, I mean... He could have he could have handed out more. The it. Spanish are saying he should have sent more people off. The Spanish are saying, you know, yeah. they should have been down to nine at half-time. But, as you say, the referees are under so much pressure not to, you know, to be Wrong too card-happy too soon, but he was almost left with no choice, and, and the problem is, the minute you give the first yellow card, you then set the benchmark for what is a yellow card, and if you have 14 other offences of that magnitude, you have to then give 14 mm. yellow cards, and I was amazed that we ended, only one person got sent off. I don't think the issue was too many yellow cards, I think there was uh, the fact that Webb didn't send De Jong off, but on that uh, look the ball's bouncing. Uh, Young's put a, uh, De Jong's put a uh, boot up. Uh, he's followed through on his chest, and it, on, you know, uh, on the slow mo, it looks a lot worse than it did in real <laughs> the time. The pictures are amazing. Oh, <laughs> when Xavi <laughs> Alonso's body just shudders uh, at the point of impact, it was amazing. But uh, I don't think it was just that. There was also a couple of things he missed in extra time. The, well, uh, there was the, the obvious one, which was the corner that he didn't give. That was very quickly followed by the Spanish yeah. goal, which got the Dutch very, uh, very upset. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I say, that happens, you know, missing. Yeah. A, a, I don't think that was the difference between Holland winning or losing. No, I mean, he made a couple of mistakes. He missed a blatant corner and that Iniesta foul. Wasn't little things, but the big decisions he largely got right. And you know, the Dutch were complaining as well. And I, I read, you know, a few news stories trying to figure out exactly what they were complaining about. And they were saying, oh, he's handing out cars left, right and centre. Because yeah, because you kept doing bookable offences. So, you know, they can't really complain. And the, the bottom line is the better team won. Yeah. The, best, the best team in the world won. So. How Webb can't win? Spanish, no. you know, the Spanish think he handed out too many cards and the Dutch think he didn't handle out enough. So there's no way he's going to win that. Yeah. You know? And he'd done the Champions League final and the World Cup final in the same year. And I don't know if that's been done before. Yeah. So well done to him. I just think uh, Holland uh, has played chicken with Howard Webb. Um, and they've come out on top, really. Uh, mm. Webb, in any other game, he should have sent off, uh, you know, at least one or two plays in that first half. Yeah. And I think that's got to be the focus. Why, why is the World Cup different? Why is the World Cup final different to any other match? Yeah. Um, end, end of all that probably the right result best team in the world won the World Cup I'd say which you know there's a reassuring sort of feeling about that um, I mean is this now Spain dominating world football yes right now Spain dominate world football you'd, I You've mean because two years out from the Euros you'd have to say hard, that hard to be they're head and they? shoulders favourites to carry out the Euros yeah. that team is going to be largely unchanged yeah I mean they didn't blow me away Spain you know, I, right. I, I thought you know well, they won every game one nil pretty much. Yeah, they? exactly. You know, it's not 
some people are calling it the most amazing football I've ever seen, etc., etc. You know, the fact is, the, the best thing about football is goals, right? It is. It's the most interesting thing about football. And yeah, okay, it, I do like watching Spain, you know, pass the ball around. But you know, after a while, I think, come on, just flipping do something with it. And you know, I enjoy I higher scoring games. I love the way the Guardian have christened the, the Tiki Taka Taliban. Yeah, <laughs> this new breed of people that would sum up Craig Foster perfectly. That believe that that's the only way to play football, and any anything that's come before or after is like sacrilegious. And uh, yeah, um, I think I, I think uh, thinking about it this morning on the way into work, I was thinking about the thing that I think. Spain have got right, and they've and that will lead, I think, to a period of domination for them. Is it doesn't matter who is their coach. You already know that everybody knows the way the Spanish national team plays football. Mm-hmm. It's not reliant on the coach. The coach is not going to come in with ridiculously new ideas. It will be someone that is that knows exactly. You know, let's say Guardiola comes in next. He plays the same way. Mm. They, they, you know, they, they've got this system of play or this style of play that runs through their youth development runs through the national team so the coach is largely irrelevant you know whereas England Fabio Capello can think oh Fabio is going to be the answer to it he is going to change and turn us into a winning side and he may well you know even if he may well does that that's only as good for as long as he's the coach you Mm -hmm. know whereas Spain have got something a bit deeper than that which is they've got this way of playing that everybody knows so Someone's injured, someone else comes in, doesn't alter the way that they play football. Mm. You know, they come in, the style doesn't change. And for that reason, I think, you know, they probably are going to go on and dominate. Ma- yeah, maybe. I mean, in, in terms of dominate, if we're talking long term, like the next 20, 30 years, are Spain going to keep winning World Cups and keep winning Euros? Football approaches, a bit like the Dutch were in the 70s. Not that they won a World Cup, but they did play football in the way, you know, they developed their own style and they looked like they were going to go on and dominate forever. They didn't even win a World Cup in the end, which, yeah. you know, which is more than the Spain style. Because often people figure out and find ways to beat these teams. I mean, Barcelona looked unbeatable last season. I couldn't see how anyone was going to stop them winning the Champions League. But Mourinho found a way, didn't he? Yeah. And I, th- I think the secret is to, you know... Exactly your thoughts on it. I think the way Mourinho did it was that he was able to stifle them defensively and in midfield, but without sacrificing his own team's ability to score at the other end. Mm. And I think that's the key. You know, is, is a lot of teams go out and try and nullify Spain or nullify Barcelona, but in doing that, they sacrifice their own ability to score at the other end. Mm. So the best they're going to come out of it with is a draw. Yeah, like Inter scored three. not good in tournament football. No, Inter scored three in their first game exactly. against Barcelona to knock them out. You know, and he was playing, you know, three attacking players. Yeah. Still had, you know, Schneider, Melito, and Eto. So you know, if they do play this certain style, yeah, different players can come in and coaches and, and still do it. But you know, other teams will figure them out. I think um, Spain's win this World Cup was uh, fitting, but you've got to look at those last three games that they played and each game could have really gone either way um, Paraguay penalties exactly yeah. uh, it's bloody hard to win a World Cup and the fact that Spain have done it even though every team had uh, set out in Mourinho-esque fashion to uh, to nullify that their midfield threat is a real achievement uh, but you know come European Championships come the next World Cup Teams are still going to be playing these. This uh, teams will will still approach the games against Spain in, in a similar vein. And look, you look at the semi-final. 
a set piece, uh, Carlos Puyo had, it was the, was the only difference. It, they're going to be these um, these set pieces, these significant moments. The Robin uh, missed one on one that are going to determine these big matches. Yeah, I thought. I mean, one one final point. I thought um, I was actually quite impressed with Del Bosque's sort of tactics and the way he played it. And I think he got to the point where he realised that you know, sort of, and, and when Dion off, but they were almost just with the two with Iniesta and Xavi they were they were sort of in danger of being nullified in midfield or being kicked in, off it in midfield and replacing Busquets with Fabregas gave them three mobile good players in possession in midfield that could actually hurt them and then Holland couldn't compete with three of it they could nullify two and they could kick two and mm. push them but then when he brought the third one on all of a sudden Fabregas was finding room and moving into areas that Busquets wasn't, and that was, you know, look at the goal. You know, that was Fabregas picking Fabregas up the ball on the edge of the 18 yard box. Yeah, he had a great chance to score himself. So I was, yeah, I was quite impressed with that. Um, but what you would say about Spain is they do need a lot of chances to score. Mm. Yeah, they're one game's one nil, but they've created a lot of chances. And you sort of think, well, okay, if, if a team can come against that can limit that, you know, you do have a chance against them. All mm. right. Well, that's the final wrapped up. We're going to be back after this break to talk what are the news headlines on our website, au.442.com. So we're going to be looking at a bit of news closer to home. In 1982, it was one little hand. In 66, a thin white line. One small man mesmerised the nation again in 86. Four years ago, a single tiny whistle pierced Aussie hearts. It only takes a touch, a fingertip between glory and defeat. With YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of your touchscreen, you'll have all the action at your fingertips with the Sony Ericsson Xperia X10 Mini, the world's biggest games, the world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini, only from Sony Ericsson. It's time. Time to catch up with my world. Time to catch the final score. Time to read my team's tweets to see who's in. Time to see your social universe from one screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. And welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast. We're going to catch up with some of the news uh, closer to home from our website, au.442.com. Uh, difficult to t- keep Tim Cale out of the news at the moment. He's here with Everton, and uh, every day there seems to be something new. Now, this was a very interesting development where... Um, We've got win that uh, Tim Cale is soon to be unveiled as a, as a financial stakeholder in Sydney Rovers, the new Western Sydney team. Jack? That would be a huge boon. Uh, I remember when uh, Dave Nilsson, an Australian baseballer successful in the major leagues, bought the Australian Baseball League, uh, and it, it goes to show how much of a difference there is in the financial might of these internationally yeah. acclaimed leagues compared to the local uh, the local versions. It'd be fantastic. Uh, obviously, the more capital Rovers have available, the better. Um, and wouldn't it be nice to see Tim, Tim Cahill come back here in a couple of years and uh, get a good few years in the A-League? Trevor, I mean, West, Western Sydney, you know, Sydney Rovers have gone a little bit quiet recently, haven't they? Hmm. Sort of make, you know, and so obviously that this is encouraging for me and it shows that there is still a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And the one thing that they... 
appeared to be lacking was uh, was actually the money. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, they've they've certainly got the credentials in you know, Ian Rowden, both from a football and a business sense, ex ex professional player himself, mm. and ex soccer Charlie Yankos. So um, obviously, I don't think Cahill will be the sole backer. It no. Doesn't suggest that, but I don't, and I'm not sure he'd be willing to put up that much money. But certainly, um, have we heard anything more too on on where the rest of the money's coming from? No, I, d- uh, I don't know anything you know directly about where the rest of the money comes. But like you say. They certainly need money to do a good job because, as a seen with a heart, if you're launching a new A-League team, it's twice as hard if you're launching it where there's already a club. And the heart have done a fantastic job of getting the sort of players and the coaches that would make people switch and get new people interested. So when the Rovers come in, they've got to do exactly the same. That They can't sort of limp into the league. They've got to really throw some money behind it and, and you know, you know, get up and running straight away really with decent players and coaches so yeah the, the more back in the better I think OK moving on from the World Cup obviously Shane Smeltz uh, and the, the New Zealand team um, were, were something that caught the eye and certainly overachieved in terms of the expectations and uh, it's looking like Shane Smeltz may be uh, off to China um, we revealed I think that it was a very very small buyout for him it was $300,000 yeah. wasn't it um, so it looks like he's going to cash in and, and head to China for a payday. Um, Joel Port has come out this week saying um, he believes that that's actually going to open the door for some of Gold Coast United's young talent to step up and they might not need to replace him. Mm. Trev, you know, you, you've been up there. Yep. They have got some young players. Uh, is it James Brown? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they, they did throw a bit of money behind their youth team from, from the start. Yeah, that James Brown, they really rate highly. They were... They were talking when we were up last year about them, you know, him breaking into yeah. the Socceroos level. Well, he got injured, didn't he? He did, yeah. And he, he, he's had a lot of problems with injuries all the way through his, his career. But, you know, he scored that goal, didn't he, when he came on? And he looks like he might be, um, you know, good enough to break through this season. But you'd think that, you know, the Gold Coast have built this reputation of, you know, spending money to have the best players. You'd think they need to go out and do that again and not yeah. just rely on youth. And Taj Minicon's another one. You know, he's there on the 23 marquee. Um, again, you know, furiously inconsistent. Yeah, brilliant one week with and Queensland, then. and and then moved to the Gold Coast. Um, he's had a few niggling injuries as well, but apparently, you know, he's back to full fitness. Um, staying with the Gold Coast, uh, what you know, a replacement for Schmelz, who's on the radar apparently, is uh, is Robert Perez, the most duck-footed footballer I've ever seen in my life. He walks like it's ten to two. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised he can stay on his feet. Um, not not heard too much about Perez recently. Uh, he's currently at Villarreal. Um, he's still how old is he? Thirty. Doesn't say, but we were just oh, saying probably mid thirties. Really? Do you think he's that old? I'd probably say he's more thirty two, thirty three. I think he, he took he broke through as he's a mature player. At, no, no, quite old. Because really? he had a, a, had a long time in France before he went to Arsenal. Before he went to Arsenal. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and the other interesting thing that. Amazingly, didn't sort of leak out was the fact that they'd um, made a bit of an audacious inquiry for Raúl. This is this must be spin, isn't it? Is that one of those? Because we could ring up Raúl and get see if he wants a job. Well, <laughs> it's a bit like Villa, where where Doug Ellis. Yeah. Where Doug Ellis was in charge of Villa, he's the master. Uh, yeah, he'd like ring up sort of uh, you know Newcastle. I'll give you a million for Alan Shearer. No. <laughs> After failing in a bid <laughs> to lure Alachira from Newcastle, yeah. Villa have now turned their sights to Marlon Harewood. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was a master at that. So do we, do we think it's that or do we think they... Um... Yeah, I, I think it might be a little bit of spin. You know, they need to up their fans and they need to up the interest in the club. And 
if they're saying that they're offering that you know the club's got the ambition because we're offering it, we just can't get the players out here, and that's not our fault. Yeah. Um, but interesting readers' comments on the bottom of that Perez story because it definitely got people interested. Even one Arsenal fan saying on there saying that he would he'd switch from Melbourne to Gold Coast if Perez went there because <laughs> you know, and that is the difference big a big goal. marquee could uh, could make. But yeah. I'm ju- I'm just a little bit unsure it's going to happen. Well, current marquee man there, Jason Kalina, has apparently rejected a, a seven-figure deal to join a Qatari club. I think he's going to go, Kalina. Really? I have a strange feeling, yeah, that he, he might not be there next season. Because I mean, obviously they've now got the, the capacity to have two marquees, and Kalina mm-hmm. would fit the bill for the Australian, Australian marquee, one, yeah. so they could bring in another. I mean, maybe you'll wait and, mm. maybe you'll wait and see whether someone like Pires is going to come. And Yeah, I mean, mm. I'm glad that he's not taken the money and... and gone to Qatar like if he is going to leave then I'd like to see him go back to the level that he was playing which is at least uh, you know the first first tier in Holland um, Ricky Herbert has come out and ended speculation on his future and said that he will definitely uh, be staying with the Wellington Phoenix until 2012-13 to the end of the 2012-13 Alex so that's another two years um, you'd probably say that he, his stock certainly would have risen during the World Cup He's trying to sell that book, though, isn't he, in New Zealand? Is he? <laughs> well, he's got oh, his book out, hasn't oh, he? We've got it in the office. They do it for leaving might hit sales. <laughs> um, yeah, he went there. Everyone expected New Zealand to be the whipping boys. They've come away as the only undefeated team at the World Cup. Um, yeah. Didn't score too many. Didn't win a game, but didn't, didn't lose one either. Didn't shoot too often either, did they? Like, in the no. Paraguay game, did they never shoot shot to the last minute or something? Yeah, they're the only team to come away without being beaten. So as a coach... You'd probably say that you know, he'd come away as probably the lowest-ranked team. Very happy with that, Jack. Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, New Zealand and Herbert should be very proud of their achievements at the World Cup. But I'd be interested to know what Herbert's uh, career aspirations are because he's not going to get a better chance than now to, mm. to make the step somewhere. Um, and, you know, for an A-League coach, it's often difficult to, you know, move into a, uh, a more uh, reputable league. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you have to respect his commitment to the uh, to the Kiwis. Yeah, well, I mean, I, he also said that you know he's also in agreement with the New Zealand Football Federation yeah. to remain in the All Whites role. So I guess if he did move to Europe, that would pretty much be the end of his involvement with the All Whites. So, and I guess it's that beauty for him of being able to do both roles to be a club and national team coach that he'd probably have to sacrifice if he went to a you know. Yeah, to a, to a bigger league because mm. you know, they're not they're not going to accept that. They are in the uh, Bishania dead zone now, where they don't play another meaningful match for another three and a half years. But I guess you know you would probably look at them as being you know he they're in the same situation as Australia in the bar in a disaster. They're always going to get a shot at the World Cup now. Well, they always get the they get the playoff. playoff yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is now against an Asian team, the fifth yeah. place Asian team. So. I hope it's a lot easier than Australia used to have it playing off against the, the fifth place uh, South American, South American yeah. team. I but think like, Herbert might might have been better off seeing what else is out there, maybe for the next couple of years, and coming back and, and looking at the full-time job mm. for New Zealand in, in three years. Yeah, I feel like you're saying, if he's if he's not going to go now, then surely he's never going to go. Yeah, this which would is be great. the only time to go. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see how he'd fare over there, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. To give us an idea of what the coaches are like here. And just one international story, obviously, uh, in the, the dying embers of the uh, World Cup final, Liverpool fans around the world would have been uh, horrified to see Fernando Torres pull up in apparent agony. Um, 
Although he did manage to climb the steps to get his medal relatively <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the good news is that it seems that it's not as bad as first assessed, and it, it, and it actually wasn't his problem groin. It was a, it was a slight thigh strain or th- slight thigh tear or adductor injury. So it's not the injury that he's had all the problems with. Um, so they're confident that he might even be fit for the start of the season. I mean, Trev, me and you were talking mm, about the yeah. fact that him being injured for the whole of <clears> July and August might be the only way he would end up staying at Liverpool if he was <laughs> injured for the transfer window. Um, he's very he's fragile, not committed, though, isn't he's not he? committed no. himself to Liverpool yet. He was wearing a scarf during the celebrations. Really? So uh, right, that's okay. as much as we've got so far. We'll read into that what the, we will. The problem with Torres, uh, whether it's a serious injury or whether it's a less serious injury, is, it doesn't really make a difference because he's someone that... This time, between the World Cup and the start of the season, he really needed to work on his fitness, build his overall strength, and get back to a pl- uh, you know the the physical condition mm. that he was at a year or two ago. Mm. He shouldn't have gone to the World Cup. He was nowhere near yeah, fit. He, he shouldn't have been at that World Cup. He was um, he was that fit, but you sort of got the feeling that he was driving it, that he so desperately wanted to be fit, yeah, that he would have persuaded anyone that he was fit. But then when he had it was quite clear that he wasn't. Although, although you said, you know, David Villa um, scored all of, all of his goals when Fernando Torres was on the pitch. Yeah. David Villa didn't score didn't in score, a game yeah. where Torres didn't start. Um, so, you know, he obviously did add something to, mm. uh, to the team. He, he's, a, he's a strange addition to that Spanish team, isn't he? Because he's different to all the rest of them. You know, they're all sort of small, you know, passing intricate players. And then you have this Torres, this sort of big, tall, powerful striker. He's, he's yeah. a, not saying he doesn't fit into the Spanish team, but he's something very different, isn't he? Do, do, do we know, was was he this injury prone at Atletico Madrid? I wasn't aware that he was. And, mm. you know, it seems that he's only this is since he's gone to Liverpool. And Well, the problem is, uh, and why this injury is a, a, a real issue for Roy Hodgson, is he's got no other choice but to play him if he's only 60-70% fit, because he has been their only option. Uh, and is when Liverpool play with Torres, they've got something like a 20% uh, better win uh, Percentage yeah. than when when they don't use him. So yeah. I suppose they oh, think yeah, just as s- like Voroning was the next best choice. In goal, well, that's yeah. it. You'd <laughs> put a sixty percent. We could put Trev up and he'd have a better <laughs> win percentage than yeah. Voroning. Um, just while I see, I meant to mention when we were talking about Phoenix was uh, we got a nice surprise in the post this week, Trev. We're, <laughs> yeah, we, we did. We've been awarded. We've been recognised for our uh, our news coverage of the Wellington Phoenix, New Zealand football, and a yellow fever by the Yellow Fever. So they said that's a really nice little trophy. Most balanced, uh, most balanced reported. So for all the uh, hey. all the Wellington Phoenix fans that are listening to the podcast, thank you very much for that. It's always nice when uh, someone gives you a little pat on the back. So we hope that that will continue and pull off all rocks. Um, <laughs> that's all for section two. We'll be back section three for a bit of a wider look at our reflections on the World Cup, um, and we'll give out some of our uh, our personal awards for the World Cup. So join us in section three. It's about time. Time to catch up with my world and everyone in it. Time to salute Saturday night's party heroes and party zeros. Time to check if Chris needs a keeper for tomorrow's game. Time to see what the coach has planned for Sunday and who's going to be there. It's all about not wasting one drop of precious time. Time to stay in control. See your entire social universe from a single screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. 
In 74, we barely made a splash. Beaten by a dive in 06. All the action. YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of the world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini from Sony Ericsson. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Hello, welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. We're uh, heading back for one final look at the World Cup now, where we're going to look at, at the tournament as a whole. Um, overall, guys, we the football... Where would we where would we pitch South African World Cup in terms of on the pitch with recent tournaments? Um, I think outside of Germany and Argentina, pretty rubbish. Um, only World Cup I can think of that was worse was probably Italia '90. I don't really? think it was. Yeah, don't think it was that great at all. You know, oh, the, the team that won it won it with the least amount of goals ever scored, and no other. T- you know, none of the big players turned up. Yeah. No, I don't. You know, like I say, Germany and Argentina impressed me, but ultimately didn't make it, did they? I don't really tend to subscribe to these uh, historical comparisons about the quality of football at a tournament. I had a great World Cup. I thought it was full of drama, uh, full of really interesting tactical uh, matchups. And look, some players came out, and guys like Muller and Ozil just you know blew me away. Yeah, exactly. No, Holman, legitimately, Holman was uh, was great. And I think the reason that they're blowing us away is because all the players that should have been blowing us away were terrible. Does that yeah, take I it think, away, though? I mean, I, I think I agree. I think, you know, I, I thought there was a lot of games. Okay, the first round of the group games, there was a lot of negative, yeah, not negative, but, but coaches trying to not lose first. And then if they were still in the game after 70 minutes, they might have a little dart at it. But. But I just think that is testimony to the importance of the tournament now, and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think we can expect teams to go out and play like they did in 1982, so it's not mm. going to happen. But there were so many games that were still one goal difference going into the last 10 minutes that I, I felt it was it was full of drama. There was a lot, so many games that were still competitive right into the last knockings and you know late goals and. And so, that, but part of that reason is because it was low scoring. Yeah, yeah. You know, so people you know, are just Spain came, you know, <laughs> Spain were in danger of considering the equaliser. South Africa, you know, there was a lot of talk beforehand about, you know, why is the World Cup there? It's not going to be ready. It was ready, just. The stadiums <laughs> were ready. The, the outskirts, the, the surrounds of the stadiums probably weren't. Um, but South African people as hosts, I thought, were fantastic. You know, um, couldn't have been more welcoming. Couldn't have been more football mad. Certainly stuck with the tournament after the final, the final went out. Um, you know, and just loved the party. And the way they were adopting other countries was fantastic. You know, you got, they were just sort of fully getting behind it. Um, what What was the view like from here? Mm. You know, did, did you look at it and think? Did it, Did you feel like it was a a successful World Cup? Uh, I I thought it looked like. A great amount of fun. I would have loved to be there. I was in Germany and uh, couldn't get over there this time. But uh, it just looked like a really uh, novel World Cup experience with yeah. um, colourful crowds and uh, you know it was a little bit crazy. You know, it seemed like there were you know some traffic problems and there was just a little bit of doubt and and but I think that was part of the adventure. 
you, but you were there. And yeah, you... no, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a little bit nuts. It was a very different atmosphere. The stadium, a lot of the stadiums were in the middle of nowhere, which meant you know with no public transport. So the only way out there and back was by coach and get bussed in. And so there wasn't the there wasn't the sort of city feeling to the World Cup that there was in Germany, where you could have beers in the centre of a town and then walk to the stadium. That was the only place that you could do that was Cape Town and Durban but certainly the the rest and you, Ellis Park you certainly wouldn't want to drink around the surrounds of Ellis Park even though you could do but you probably wouldn't it wasn't, wasn't one of the nicer areas of Johannesburg um, but to much was made about empty seats Trev but you actually look at the stats and it was the third highest average attendance World Cup Mm. I was going to ask, have, you know, have we got the stats on how yeah, it's attended? Yeah, 49,670 average. The, it, beaten by Germany, not surprisingly. Germany's yeah. the biggest supported league in the in the world. Uh, that was 52,000. And the USA was the highest, which yeah. was 68,000 in 94. I think those averages are bumped up because uh, Germany has a number of you know 60,000-odd-seat stadiums. Same with the US. I think we should expect more than 50, 60% capacity for group games I think that was something yeah, that was underwhelming it was disappointing it was, odd, it was odd it was certain stadiums that were really poor and like Port Elizabeth because there was nowhere anywhere near it you know so like Johannesburg you had the two main stadiums but then you also had other stadiums on the sort of outskirts like Pretoria and mm. and Rustenburg and places like that so you could stay in Johannesburg and commute to sort of five or six of the stadiums whereas Port Elizabeth was really sort of out on a limb and I think that's why the crowds were quite bad there. Um, and certainly, it looked to me, one of the things that I noticed was at, at every stadium was the lack of corporate hospitality seats. And so much is now given over to that. Like Soccer City, there was a whole ring, you know, the old sort of like suites and the seats in front, empty for pretty much every game we went to. Yeah, yeah and that was the same at Ellis Park. And, and I, I guess that was a, probably a, a byproduct of both the global financial crisis and also security concerns with corporates taking clients to South Africa they're probably going to think twice so. when these tickets didn't get sold to, to various teams shouldn't they have been given back into the community shouldn't Mate, I'm they've... convinced that they were there were so many games that we were at Germany uh, Australia Ghana great example at Rustenburg at kickoff, there were seats everywhere by 20 minutes into the first half all full of locals Wow. Yeah, so I think that they actually had a cut-off point and they started Hand them out. giving them away or they gave them to the volunteers and said, right, go and watch the game. And that happened at a lot of games. That, that the, the, the crowd at kick-off was very, very different to the crowd after half an hour. Yeah. Um, and mm. it was all locals coming in. So well, That's good, anyway. Yeah, that's the way it should be. You know? yeah. Looking at those uh, empty seats, you couldn't help but think about Australia's World Cup bid and uh, if in Adelaide... Paraguay plays like Iran, you know, in a 40,000-seat stadium. Are we going to fill that out? I think we would. I think we would, because I think Australia gets behind a, a sporting event. Yeah, And also, it's a much more affluent country. I, I agree. Yeah, I, one I'm of the with reasons you. why, that, uh, even at the prices they were being given, we, we met an Aussie guy who, uh, whose girlfriend was South African at the Australia-Germany game. We were chatting to them, and, drink, and she was one of the volunteers. She was local. She bought the same tickets we had, I think, for 15 US dollars, and ours were 120, and that's because they were local. Yeah, but even at that price point, it was beyond the reach of 
most everyday South Africans. Um, so I think that's that would be the main difference here would be the fact that the majority of people in Australia could afford to go. Um, okay, we touched on this before. You know, this World Cup will be remembered for for the underperformance of many of the players tipped to be the star men going in. Really? Messi, Ribery, Kaká, uh, yeah. Ronaldo. Ronaldo. One goal between them. And that was Ronaldo's fluky effort against uh, North Korea. Rolled off his neck. I mean, is, is, is there a reason for this? Is this do, yeah, can we pinpoint one reason why we think the, the, the big players didn't show up? Um, I, I think a few of those guys were good players in pretty bad sides. Rooney. Had a tough task playing in the England team. Also, not sure he was anywhere near fit. Um, yeah. uh, you'd have to say Ribery in that French team was just being surrounded by that French team. Um, and I thought Messi was played in a really different way to how we've seen him at Barcelona. He played a completely different role for Argentina, and I thought he played it, um, you know, relatively well. The, he also that, didn't have Xavi in Iniesta just inside of him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which should make a difference to anyone. So, um, you know, people have been saying, oh, it's the end of a long season for them and, and what have you. But, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, they were stuck in, in teams that were kind of underperforming a little bit themselves. But does that mean, then, that we can cease the comparisons between Messi and Maradona? Maradona went to a World Cup and arguably, in 86, a very average team and won the World Cup arguably single-handedly. Yeah. yeah, so is that what it takes to be great? You know, Diego Forlan came very, very close to dragging a Uruguay team. You know, what you'd probably say an, an, an average Uruguayan team compared with a lot of the teams that they got further than, and mm-hmm. the difference arguably in a lot of areas was was Forlan. Yeah. Yeah. So is that the mark of a of a truly great player that they can take an average team? in tournaments like the World Cup. I don't think it's a mark of a truly great player. I just think that's how we look back on tournaments and we only really pull out the greatest players in the world if they've been involved in those, you know, great finals or, you know, have gone all the way. On the subject of star players underperforming, as Trevor said, I don't think you can generalise there. Uh, I think Messi was brilliant uh, early on. Didn't score, sure. He never quite got his shooting boots on, but... Argentina, Maradona's a buffoon. They they didn't know what they were doing. More and more, they were relying on him to pick up the ball deeper and deeper. And he was still doing a pretty good job, apart from shooting. Kaka had a match uh, coming back from injury, had one match suspended, and he was just coming into it when Brazil imploded in that match against the Netherlands. Yeah. The big one I wonder about, though, who did underperform is Cristiano Ronaldo, who... I don't know what, what was wrong with him, whether the pressure got to him, whether it's something about impending fatherhood, I'm not sure. Yeah, Cristiano <laughs> mm. Jr. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I guess, uh, I, I guess uh, do we think the ball was part of that as well? You know, for these players that are, you know, used to playing with a particular ball and are, are masters of that to then go, or, or was that a sign of the fact that, you know, as, as I would say, that, they couldn't get to grips with it and couldn't adapt, whereas the, some of the, the arguably better players did adapt to it. We didn't see Spain moaning about the ball. As you said, Trev, they didn't, they didn't kick it far enough to moan about it. Yeah, exactly. It was all 10-yard passes. So. It was same for everyone, wasn't it? You know, Some players adapted, some didn't, and it, it's an easy excuse, isn't it? But, yeah. You know, they, they had enough time to practice with it, I would have well, thought. England, England love easy excuses, so I'm sure that's <laughs> Always what they're, an excuse, they're moaning about. All right, on to a bit of fun. Um... 
just some little awards. Who would you say was your team of the tournament? And by team, I mean country, not individuals. Um, Germany. Germany? Germany by some distance. Really? Yeah, absolutely loved watching them. Young, fearless, great in the counter-attack. Even once they you know, get their noses in front, they still want more goals. Exactly the sort of team I like watching. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got a few. Uh, love watching Mexico, even though they're totally impotent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I enjoyed Ghana's story. They came through our group, tough group. Uh, never really enjoyed watching them all that much, but uh, I think that was great that Africa got on board uh, there. Yeah. Deserved uh, to go through, really. Cause deserved yeah. to go further, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and but I can't go past Spain. I thought, despite the negative tactics of the, their opposition, they battled so hard and. Uh, through uh, a few really good performances by some unsung players like Sergio Busquets, uh, I think they were my team of the tournament. Yeah, okay. Um, I quite enjoyed some of the, the sort of tier, what I call the tier two and three teams. Like I enjoyed watching Chile. Thought Chile was fantastic. You know, obviously what got undone by Brazil when they were you know, had a few players suspended and you know, but they just kept attacking. They pressed all over the park. You know, they didn't sit back. Um, I enjoy watching them. I enjoy watching um, Slovenia and Slovakia as well. I thought both of those guys. I went to two great, two of my favourite games at the World Cup was Slovenia 2, USA 2, and uh, Slovakia 3, Italy 2. You know, two great games. That Slovakia performance against Italy was fantastic. Um, yeah, and obviously Spain would be the, the obvious one but in terms of player. Player of the tournament. Um, Individually. Yeah, um, Mentioned him earlier, uh, Müller, the German, young German guy. It's a bit of a German lovey, mate, for you. <laughs> he also gets my young player, which oh. is the award after. <laughs> so they're three out of three, Germany, yeah, so far. He, um, we, we were hearing a little bit about um, homosexual German players this week, weren't we? Yeah, Trev's <laughs> obviously bought into that fully. Well, He's yeah. expressing his man love for Thomas Müller. Um, when he arrived in South Africa, he had one cap. He wasn't supposed to play. He was sort of there for the, there for the safaris. Ended up scoring five goals, winning the golden boot, and getting three assists. So I think that's a that's a real story. Okay, I think I'm probably going to beat you to the foreland punch, Jacko. No, I'm no, different. Uh, Ryan played. Nelson, haven't you? No, <laughs> no Diego Forland was uh, inspirational. He was playing in a in a, a role just withdrawn from the strikers, just in the middle of everything Uruguay were doing. They weren't playing beautiful football, but uh, he was critical to their success. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree that I was going to pick someone different just for the hell of it. My favourite player at all, David Villa. Yeah. Um, couple of reasons, I think. First of all, I, well, a lot of reasons. First of all, I think he sort of shouldered the responsibility and accepted the responsibility when Torres wasn't fit and led the line. But then when also Torres did come in, he shifted very easily to a wide sort of left position and was just as dangerous from both. Um, we are talking about Robin earlier the fact that David Villa generally stays on his feet, doesn't roll around, doesn't try and milk fouls as much as most top-level centre-forwards. Um, he was the difference between Spain winning most of those games. 1-0, he was the one that did take the chance. And I love his goal celebration. <laughs> Just doing my matador bit. Um, so, yeah, so he was my favourite player of the tournament. Um, young player of the tournament, Trev? Yep. Muller again, yeah. you know, interesting to see what he does next. But when a player like that emerges, you know, realistically, he can spend the next ten years playing like that. I think. I think your love of Germany. Uh, I love Germany. You do yeah, love Germany. I do love them. Um, 
I think you're forgetting that they actually kind of played the easy game. They sat back, and the space that Muller and Ozil <clears throat> enjoyed was just because they're hitting him on the counter. Obviously, their, their pace, directness, you know, and, and ability to move the ball quickly all contributed to that, and, and that does make for beautiful football, as you mm. said. But they play to their strengths. You know, if you've got players who are going to be brilliant on the break, then play on the counter. Yeah. I just don't think that a lot. Of, I, I think it's very difficult to to prepare a team for a World Cup tournament, and um, it's the easy option hitting them on the counter like that. I think what Spain did in um, in preventing other teams counterattacking them, even though they're committing, you know, half their men forward in intricate passing moves, uh, goes to show that Sergio Busquets is the young player of the tournament. Um, Within two or three seconds, whenever Spain lost the ball, he was in in the thick of it, cutting down any of these p- potentially dangerous counterattacks that Germany hung their hat on during the tournament. And in the you saw in the semi final that uh, Germany were nullified by that. I think I took a slightly different criteria to it because you know Spain were the, are the best team in the world, deserve to win the World Cup, and you know I don't begrudge them that, but they turned up and played how they've been playing for the last few years. Um, so they didn't really surprise me, but Germany surprised me, and that's why I'd give them the nod as the team in the tournament, because I really didn't know what to expect from them and <clears throat> the way that they played. And to be the first team since Brazil in 1970 to score four goals against three separate teams is a pretty impressive thing to achieve for a young team. Jack? Or have you just given us yours? <laughs> <laughs> is that yours? It was, How old is he? 22, 21, really? 22. Yeah. Yeah, it's older than that. No, um, I'm asking the guy for a German as well. I'm going to go for a different one. I'm going to go for Ozil. Mm. Um, yeah, although tempered slightly by the fact that I felt he went a little bit missing against Spain. But given his age, or is he 19? Mm. Um, to come in and, and play in that critical role, that sort of number 10 role, um, and play with the way he did against a lot of very accomplished opposition. Um I thought it was fantastic and fully. You know, I, I actually watched him dismantle the England under 21s in the European Championships, the under 21 European Championships last year, and thought this lad is fantastic. And it was good to see that he's he's made that step up and uh, and looked fully at home. And you know, and, and those big games, he'll only play more of those over the over the coming season. So you know, you look at that play and you think, geez, he he could be like another Lota Mateus and play for you know the next sort of four World Cups. Um, goal of the tournament? Uh, I think for for my... I'll pick one. Someone's just smashed it and it's gone in the top corner. Um, do, I, do you want to hold out? Because I'm going to pick one of those. Well. I'm going to pick one oh. of those and I'm going to pick one oh. that I enjoy for a different reason as well. I'm going to have that for Van Broncos. Ah, uh, beat uh, us both. That's my smash it. Everyone, you know... Uh, after seeing 3,000 balls get given <laughs> yeah. to the stands, finally to see one go in, it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the semi finals, that was amazing. Sure, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, one that I did enjoy was the, the Brazil, possibly against Chile, it might have been, when Kaka took it down, cushioned it perfectly for Luis Fabiano. And um, the way it was described on, on SBS, they had another source on this, but the way that Fabiano took it around the keeper put the ball away it was like he was putting a, a, a book back on the bookshelf yeah. you know it was so easy and it was so fluid and it was you know you can't wait to watch the World Cup for Brazil and there was a really un-Brazilian team but that was their most Brazilian moment so I go yeah. to um, so I've chosen my smashing <laughs> Van Bronckhorst as well yeah. uh, I thought I'd back that up with another smashing uh, Shabalala effort yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just a great oh. moment in the World Cup that um, launched it didn't it, it was, oh, that was just breathtaking 
So, those okay. are my two. Um, I'll think on the fly. I think I'll go for a tie between uh, Quagliarelli for Italy against Slovakia, the chip. Yeah, oh, yeah. Put them right back in it. You know, set the only up thing that front. went right for them, wasn't it, really, yeah. this World Cup? Um, and again, you know, a lot of people struggle to get that control over the ball and, and that, the, the quality of that trip, that chip, the precise. And I'm also going to go for our Brett against Serbia. I oh, agreed. That was just great. like that moment. Yeah, those sort of five minutes when Kale got a goal, and then, was it three minutes later? Like, yeah. And we were behind that goal. We were like, just back. Halfway behind that goal, and just when the first one, in, we were like, well, "Okay." You start and believing, don't you? Yeah. Hole just picked it up and smashed it, and uh, it went off. Just went absolutely off. So um, yeah, and both of those goals, I was there for. So you, you sort of remember them. You don't, you don't just remember the goal; you remember the context and the, the sort of atmosphere. All right, a few contenders for this one. Um, moment of the tournament. Maradona's presence was probably one of the things I look forward to most. I thought he was brilliant. You know, really, really good uh, um, entertainment throughout. And just just the madness of letting someone, you know, that insane, take a team that could have won the World Cup to the World Cup was just brilliant. Kissing these players, hugging people, you know, having a go at Pelé, having a go at the French. So not so much a moment, but I'd say any moment that had something to do with Maradona. Yeah. Uh, from uh, an Australian fan's perspective... Those, what, five or ten minutes after Holman scored when all of a sudden there might have been a chance. Uh, you know, it ended, I think, when Schwarzer fumbled that goal, uh, fumbled that ball. But uh, that was, uh, it goes to show how oh, amazing the uh, the hope, the sense of hope can be, particularly after we've been down the dumps for two weeks. Um, otherwise, I really liked Suarez's handball yeah. <laughs> that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen I woke up my neighbourhood when that was going on that yeah. was and a subsequent I think, penalty miss exactly yeah. and yeah. I we think look- we'll never see anything like that again we were looking up. at the picture um, that's, that's running the next issue of 442 it's an amazing picture from behind the goal seeing the two out thing but the guy next to him the other you know you've got Seems to be trying no, he, to get it as well, doesn't he? He handballed it as and well. I, I he kind definitely, of didn't know. definitely hit his hand as well before I, Suarez volleyball smacked it back out. I think they discussed it. <laughs> I think they must have talked about that moment before. And, you know, as soon as it went near, because, you know, rather than considering, you know, trying to header it, everyone was trying to handle it, weren't they? So, yeah. Seeing right, that, I'm going to pick a moment that I didn't actually see, right? And uh, but it was a moment that was pivotal in my sort of World Cup experience, and that was... Landon Donovan's injury time winner against Algeria. And to give you some context, I was watching, me and Paul were watching the England Slovenia game in the pre game function for the Green and Gold Army. So I'm, I'm there in an England shirt three hours before Australia Serbia. We're surrounded by 600 Aussies. <laughs> and obviously, I've got my Australian shirt for the Aussie game. So we're watching the England game. We're like, England have won. Fantastic. It's for England, round of 16, Saturday night, Rustenburg. Onto the Twitter, and I remember seeing just capital letters on Twitter from one journalist going, D O N O V A N. He's done it. And I was like, I just couldn't believe it. I said to Paul, like, Donovan's just scored for America. Like, England are playing on Sunday, and we had flights. We were leaving on a Sunday morning, so we were going to miss it. So that's set in. This whole chain of events that meant I spent the next three days desperately trying to change my flight <laughs> uh, so I could see England, Germany. 
What a good decision that was. I had a similar story actually. I was watching it at Star City, and also they had the you know the split screens. England were on the main screen, but they had the other USA game. And going into the last few minutes, England looked fairly comfortable. So I actually started watching the USA game, and when Donovan scored was exactly the same minute as when the final whistle went in the England game. So all the England fans started celebrating, and obviously me, you know, originally being English, saw Donovan score at the same time, put my head in my hands like, oh, God, we're going to have to play Germany. And all the England fans celebrating, thinking, what's wrong with this idiot? Does he not realise that we've just, we just made it through the group? But it was that realisation that Donovan had scored and England would have that tough route rather than that easy route. Yeah, um, OK, last couple, biggest flop of the tournament. Ronaldo for me. Ronaldo. Didn't show up. Uh, player or team? Cause team? Either. You could do either, mate. Team, I'd say Brazil. You know, I touched on it earlier. You look forward to seeing Brazil playing a certain way. They, you know, they were pragmatic, they were un-Brazilian, and they got caught out. And, you know, so I've got another, you know, don't get to see Brazil that often. And, um, you know, they only really step up for, for the World Cup. So to see them show up and limp out in the quarterfinals like that was a really, really disappointing thing. Yeah, from a team perspective, I'd probably say tie between France and Italy every time um, you say tie I think Thailand are in the World Cup yeah. <laughs> but oh. I'm pretty sure they weren't France, um, France was a great story though wasn't yeah. it it really um, was a great story individually I'd probably have to say Rooney the player that went in with the biggest billing and yeah. um, and the biggest yeah, quite rightly expectation and just didn't deliver at all at any level biggest surprise of the tournament Thought uh, competitiveness of the Asian teams. Um, yeah. We all, you know, we're in a within a whisker of qualifying. Korea and Japan, sorry, what Korean Republic and Japan uh, were uh, very competitive in the round of 16 as well. Yeah, I mean, I had Japan as well as one of the surprises. We talked about it when we were going through the groups and the podcast before, and we were, we were saying with Aiden, who's you know a real Asian football expert, saying there's a good chance they'll lose every single game. So for them to go through, and Honda was great. Great at free kicks as well, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, you know, they surprised me. Um, yeah, I'd say biggest surprise of the tournament was was just Italy's just non-performance as holders going into that. You would have just thought that... And and the biggest for, say, like, being there was for that Slovakia game was that Pirlo obviously changed the game when he came on, you know, and finally they had someone that was making a tick. But they only really seemed to be interested when they realised that they were going to go out, you know, in that last sort of 15, 20 minutes. And you just think, if they'd played like that for the whole period, they, they wouldn't have been in the situation that they were in. And just that was just a real surprise for me. I just thought that they would have a bit more pride as holders than that. Um, all right, that's it. In 1982, it was one little hand. In 66, a thin white line. One small man mesmerised the nation again in 86. Four years ago, a single tiny whistle pierced Aussie hearts. It only takes a touch. A fingertip between glory and defeat. With YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of your touchscreen, you'll have all the action at your fingertips with the Sony Ericsson Xperia X10 Mini. The world's biggest games. The world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini. Only from Sony Ericsson. It's about time. Time to catch up with my world and everyone in it. Time to salute Saturday night's party heroes and party zeros. Time to check if Chris needs a keeper for tomorrow's game. Time to see what the coach has planned for Sunday and who's going to be there. It's all about not wasting one drop of precious time. Time to stay in control. See your entire social universe from a single screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. 
This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Uh, welcome back to 442 Insider Podcast. We've just realised that Section 3 was a whopping 26 minutes, so we'll keep Section 4 uh, short and sweet and we can be away in the hour. So um, first things first, I'm suffering a little bit from post-World Cup depression. Yep. I have. I think it's because I, I was over there and then I came back and it was all a bit like, more. Oh. And I, I, I question a real illness. Could we convince the doctor? Could we get a week Could we off? get a form, yeah. I don't know. It is genuinely a, a low, isn't it? And there's all this research about how there's lower suicide rates in countries when the World Cup's on because there's this feeling of togetherness. So there is a World Cup fever. I'm sort of str- like right now, I, I couldn't care less about the start of the Premier League and the A League. I'm just sort of like, one thing about it is wasted opportunities at the World Cup yeah. for England and Australia. Both my teams both got whooped by the Germans. Yeah. We're about to move on to our world, uh, season preview issue, so I think as soon as you start getting to the group, mm. you're getting excited about Then you start thinking about who they're going to sign and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. I've been researching AEK Athens. And <laughs> yeah. Incredibly, I'm excited about the Greek Superliga. Yeah? Incredibly. Okay. Um, all right, quickly, let's turn our sights to home. A-League, early start this season, 5th of August. Um, who do we think is going to challenge? Do we see Sydney and Melbourne dominating again? Uh, yeah, they're still the teams to beat. I mean, although you know Sydney, arguably have had the the spine of their team sort of decamped to Melbourne Heart. Mm. Do you think that's going to hurt them? I think so. I think victory could have a tough season. Actually, I've got a funny feeling that they're um, they might be out of you know I don't know make the finals, but I can see them being perhaps out of the top four. You know, if they haven't seemed to have you know got a replacement um, striker for Archie. Um, but yeah, I think they might suffer a little bit. Sydney, I think, have, have developed a certain sort of style of play which suits them, and I think Nicky Cole and Scott Jamison are, are pretty good additions, so I think they have good seasons. Um, Hart are the most interesting one for me. I don't know how um, I don't know how they're going to go. I think they'll go well. I think they'll certainly, you know, make the finals. But they've got the players to have a really, really good first season. You know, got a good mix of experienced A League players and a few guys coming back. That you know, they'll be the team I think I'm most interested in seeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if Schmelz does leave, uh, if Schmelz does leave uh, Gold Coast, I worry about them a little bit. Um, you know, given the instability that's already been up there, um, if they're languishing, you know, even mid-table, uh, I just hope they can, uh, you know, keep things on the straight and narrow and maintain Palmer's interest. You know, ultimately, yeah. it's just a, you know. Well, I mean, there was big talk of him sort of getting out or being pushed out before the start of the season. He's in. Do you think he'll last? Do you think? It'll stay the season. It's difficult because he, he was in the media so much in the build-up, wasn't he? And he seems to have gone a little bit, you know, quiet. And I almost feel like maybe the FFA have said something to him. He's probably been worried about the mining tax. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe. I, I think that uh, Palmer just likes to shake things up, and he's got the money to back up his opinion. Yeah. Uh, it's well, he's got the money to worry anyone who wants to take him on legally. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Gold Coast United is spare change for his uh, reported fortune anyway well, as so he said on his uh, on the, the 60 tire, minutes yeah. interview that tyre's worth more than Jason Kalina yeah he's yeah. great was yeah. that? <laughs> at home um, interesting season for Perth as well because yeah um, I was going to say you know, Perth you know, uh, the addition of Fowler to the mm. to the ranks and they had yeah. some good players there anyway so I, I, I think that 
some of their fans of losing a bit of patience with Dave Mitchell. So I think he'd have to have a, a good season, sort of preliminary final at least. And with the old expat community out in Perth, you'd, you'd think that Fowler will put a few thousand on the gate there. Mm, for sure. Yeah, so. yeah. They've, um, been, they've been busy doing TV advertisements as well. Yeah, yeah ripping a... off his face. Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd probably think it might be the other way around, so I'd put on a better one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Graham Arnold. Big year for Graham Arnold, stepping out from the, the sort of comfort blanket of the FFA assistant role and and into running his own show. Huge um, year for him. Yeah, and, you know, fair play to him, I say. You know, he could have gone overseas, he could have sort of, you know, drifted away out of the spotlight, but he's chosen to take on the Mariners, um, team that has, you know, probably consistently overachieved with, with Laurie. Um, they got a great sort of community network there. Um, how do we think he's going to go? Tenth. I think... Tenth out of eleven. Who's yeah, going to finish below? Fury would be bottom. No, no one will manage to get lower than them, but... Yeah, I think he might struggle a little bit in the first season. I think he might be another example of those guys that spend a lot of time being an assistant and struggle in the main job. You always think, oh, you know, if this guy's been in, you know, you know, in the soccerous job for for that long, he must be doing something right. Um, but you know, for the things we hear about him, I'm not quite sure how he's going to do. I think the best the thing he can do is keep out of the spotlight. Central Coast is a great spot for him. Let's re- rebuild a reputation there. Uh, hopefully, he'll last at least a season. And look, he's still a, a, a young coach. Uh, he's what, 48 or something. Um, there aren't many Australian, Australian coaches around with the kind of pedigree that he does have, whatever his previous record is. Um, I hope he does well, but I do have my doubts. I mean, he's very happy with the Argentinian that he signed, that it was you, Franks, and played in that sort of that youth team with like Messi and the, and Tevez and those guys. So, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, yeah, any other sort of surprises we think we're in store for this season? I mean, are there any other clubs that we think might bring in decent marquees before kickoff? I mean, there's only three weeks to go. Sydney is still on the lookout for a centre forward. Yeah, so they're not going to get a marquee, are yeah. they? But they'll get a centre forward. But I don't think it'll be a name we know. I think they'll probably get you know a foreign guy that we haven't heard about. But it's so difficult to call, isn't it? There's always that good team that completely flops, and there's always that team that sort of emerges but I wouldn't like that to come. I mean, perhaps Newcastle might have a reasonable season but yeah Brent has that time yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to just seeing a new generation emerge you know you get dribs and drabs through the season with the National Youth League uh, boys stepping up uh, I'm looking forward to finding finding the next Tommy O really yeah and will do we think Phoenix can match their exploits of last year will the World Cup party continue for them and They'll kick on and get another shot in the finals, maybe you know, maybe even challenge this year. Squad still seems to be the same. I, I think so, yeah. That sort of slipped my mind for a minute there, but I, especially with how well we get on with the Phoenix guys. Yeah. yeah. Love the Phoenix. I can't get enough of them. <laughs> Love those guys. Yeah, I would, you know, if there's one team I'd like to see you know, emerge and perhaps deserve it, it would be them and their fans. Cool. All right, well, we'll, um, we'll learn a bit more about how uh, some of the teams are shaping up. Obviously, uh, Melbourne Heart. Lost 2-0 to Everton last night in front of a healthy 20,000, 19,500 crowd. Um, we've got the Festival of Football, Jack, coming up that we know about with Sydney FC. Uh, Melbourne Victory played Boca tomorrow night. Um, and then we'll be down to a two-week countdown. So next week we'll probably um, look in a bit more detail at our preview of the A-League and look at team by team, squad by squad, and, uh, and see what we think is going to happen for this season. Until then, uh, thanks to Trevor. 
and Jack Snipe and Jack's just waving frantically at me he's got a little uh, I think he's got a say hello to his nan uh, yeah I just want to do a shout out to my uh, to a uh, a website I'm, I've been working on with a bunch of friends uh, it's called rotonaldo.com R-O-T-O-N-A-L-D-O I didn't realise it was an ad that you were reading <laughs> it's, it's alright we're, we're not <laughs> um, It's it's for uh, anyone who's uh, committed to fantasy league isn't quite happen, happy about the uh, soccer fantasy leagues games that are available and want something more akin to um, what is offered in the US for their big leagues. So talking about drafts, transfers, um, it's uh, it's a fun project. Anyone uh, sign up on the site and we'll keep you posted. Put a link. Right. We'll put a link to the site in the news story as well for the podcast. There you go. So if anyone else has got any requests for next week, any uh, people that they need to thank, any uh, <laughs> birthdays, weddings, funerals, or bar mitzvahs, send them in to uh, Trevor at au. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a slightly shorter podcast. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.